Remember, history lives on through the stories we tell. I'm Peter, and this is Who Died Today, the podcast that explores the lives of famous individuals on the day they passed away. Today we're delving into the extraordinary life of Oscar Hammerstein II, one half of the famous Rodgers and Hammerstein duo that went on to change the world of theater in ways that are almost incomparable in modern times. Today marks the 63rd anniversary of his death. So without any further ado, let's dive into the early life of Oscar Hammerstein II. Part 1. Early Years and Passion for Theater, 1895-1917 Oscar Hammerstein II was born into a world steeped in theater tradition. His birthplace, New York City, was a burgeoning hub for the arts, and his family, notably his grandfather, Oscar Hammerstein I, was deeply entrenched in the world of stage productions. This legendary backdrop could have set the tone for young Oscar's life from the get-go, but it didn't quite shape up that way initially. As a child, Oscar grew up surrounded by the world of theater, but he was not immediately thrust into it. His family's prominence in the theater community meant that he was exposed to a variety of shows, performances, and theater personalities from a young age. Stories of grand plays, actors, and the behind-the-scenes drama that came with theater productions were a common dinner table conversation. However, young Oscar also lived a life that was remarkably typical of an upper-middle-class New Yorker of that era. He attended schools where he mingled with peers from diverse backgrounds, some from families as illustrious as his own, and others from more modest beginnings. Choosing to attend Columbia University, Oscar originally set his sights on broader horizons. The world-renowned institution provided him with a rich academic environment where he was exposed to a myriad of subjects and ideologies. It was here, surrounded by the intellectual vigor of the university, that Oscar first felt the strings of passion for writing. Whether it was the influential professors or the literary giants he studied, Columbia served as a fertile ground for nurturing his nascent talent. However, even with this emerging passion for words, Oscar initially chose a more conventional path. Following his time at Columbia University, he enrolled in Columbia Law School, a decision possibly influenced by societal expectations and the perceived stability of a legal career. But the confines of legal studies couldn't contain the artistic spirit that bubbled within him. The call of theater, the allure of storytelling, and the magic of lyrics were too strong to resist. In the years that followed, the theater's pull became undeniable. Oscar dropped out of law school, choosing instead to dive headlong into the world of theater. It was a bold move, especially considering his family's prominence in the industry. The shadows of his ancestors loom large, and the expectations were sky high. However, this was a challenge that Oscar was ready to take on. He began immersing himself in writing, drawing inspiration from his surroundings. And then he experimented with different storytelling techniques. By 1917, as World War I raged in Europe and the United States found itself drawn into the conflict, Oscar was ready to make his mark. His initial forays into the world of theater, including his first successful play, The Light, laid the foundation for what would become a storied career. The world of Broadway was about to be introduced to a new lyrical genius, 
and Oscar Hammerstein II was just getting started. Part 2. Formative Years and Early Collaborations, 1917-1927 The end of World War I in 1918 saw a world in transition. The Roaring Twenties was about to begin a decade of economic prosperity, cultural dynamism, and rapid societal shifts. For Broadway, it was a period of innovation and expansion. And for Oscar Hammerstein II, it was a decade of self-discovery, experimentation, and crucial collaborations that would shape his career. Following the success of The Light in 1917, Hammerstein was infused with newfound confidence. Over the next few years, he began to write more prolifically, experimenting with different genres and narratives. His work, both plays and lyrics, captured the spirit of the times, the post-war optimism, the societal changes, and the underlying tensions. While many of his ventures were well-received, there were occasional misses. However, these setbacks were more instructional than discouraging for Hammerstein. Each project, regardless of its success or failure, was a learning experience. He meticulously dissected his works, understanding what resonated with the audience and what didn't, refining his storytelling and lyrical techniques with each endeavor. But if there was one trait that truly set Hammerstein apart in these formative years, it was his ability to collaborate. He understood the power of synergy, of combining strengths with others to produce something exceptional. Throughout the early 1920s, he teamed up with several composers and writers, each partnership adding a new dimension to his work. One such collaboration, and arguably the most influential of this period, was with the celebrated composer Jerome Kern. The duo first teamed up in 1920, producing songs for the musical Zip Goes a Million. However, their most iconic partnership came seven years later with Showboat. Showboat, which premiered in 1927, was a revolution in multiple ways. Adapted from Edna Ferber's novel, it was one of the first Broadway musicals to tackle serious societal issues, primarily racial prejudice and miscegenation. The nuanced narrative, combined with the duo's spellbinding music and lyrics, introduced a level of sophistication and depth to Broadway that had rarely been seen before. Songs like Old Man River and Can't Help Lovin' Dat Man not only became instant classics, but also conveyed profound messages, encapsulating the trials and tribulations of the story's characters. The success of Showboat was monumental. Critics hailed it, audiences loved it, and its impact on the world of musical theater was undeniable. For Hammerstein, it was validation and a testament to his evolving craft. The collaboration with Kern had not only produced a masterpiece, but had also set the stage for Hammerstein's future partnerships, most notably with Richard Rodgers. Part 3. A Decade of Dominance, 1927-1937 The monumental success of Showboat in 1927 marked the beginning of a new era where Oscar Hammerstein II would wield an unparalleled influence over the world of musical theater. With an astute understanding of narrative, character development, and the profound power of lyrics, Hammerstein's work during this decade became synonymous with innovation and emotional resonance. 
following showboat offers poured in. Producers, directors, and composers were eager to collaborate with the man who had changed the face of musical theater. Hammerstein, however, was not one to rest on his laurels. For him, each project was an opportunity to explore new thematic territories and experiment with storytelling techniques. His collaboration with Sigmund Romberg yielded hits like Desert Song in 1926 and The New Moon in 1928. These musicals, while embedded with the characteristic Hammerstein touch, introduced audiences to exotic settings and complex character arcs. Particularly Desert Song, set against the backdrop of a Moroccan revolt, combined romance, intrigue, and memorable music to mesmerizing effect. But it was not just the stories and characters that shone in Hammerstein's works. His lyrics, deeply poetic and brimming with emotion, became the soul of his musicals. Hammerstein had an uncanny ability to capture the intricacies of human emotions, be it love, sorrow, hope, or despair, all in his lyrics. Songs like Softly As In A Morning Sunrise and Lover Come Back To Me are testaments to his lyrical genius, where each word was chosen with meticulous care to evoke maximum emotion. Throughout the 1930s, Hammerstein continued to expand his collaborative horizons. He teamed up with Vincent Humans for Through the Years in 1932, and again with Jerome Kearns for The Music in the Air in 1932 as well. And then he did Kearns again in 1934 for Three Sisters. Each of these collaborations brought forth different musical styles and narrative tones, showcasing Hammerstein's versatility. However, the 1930s were not just a bed of roses for Hammerstein. The Great Depression, which started in 1929, cast a long shadow over Broadway. Productions became riskier, and audiences were dwindling, and many theaters were on the brink of bankruptcy. Hammerstein, despite his status, was not immune to these challenges. Some of his musicals, while artistically commendable, struggled to find commercial success during these tough times. Yet, adversity often brings out the best in artists, and Hammerstein was no exception. Despite the economic downturn and the associated challenges, he remained committed to his craft, continuously pushing the boundaries and experimenting with new forms and themes. By the end of 1937, Oscar Hammerstein II had firmly solidified his place as one of Broadway's most influential figures. While his works from this decade were diverse in tone, style, and theme, they all bore the unmistakable mark of Hammerstein. A deep empathy for the human condition and an unerring ability to translate it into song. As the decade drew to a close, Hammerstein was poised for even greater things as a new collaboration with composer Richard Rodgers was on the horizon, a partnership that would change the course of musical theater forever. Part 4. Meeting Richard Rodgers and a New Era, 1937-1949 The late 1930s and 1940s mark a significant transition in Oscar Hammerstein II's career. By this time, he had already emerged as a respected and admired innovator whose work in musical theater had really changed a lot of aspects. 
However, the impending collaboration with Richard Rogers, a composer with whom he had not worked extensively before, was to take his artistry to even greater heights. Rogers, prior to his collaboration with Hammerstein, had been one half of the incredibly successful Rogers and Hart partnership. But with Lorenz Hart's deteriorating health and subsequent passing in 1943, Rogers found himself in search of a new collaborator. Hammerstein, with his lyrical prowess and keen narrative insight, seemed the perfect fit. Their partnership was christened with the groundbreaking Oklahoma in 1943. This musical shattered existing conventions. Instead of opening with a large ensemble number, as was traditional, the curtain rose to a lone cowboy singing the iconic, Oh, what a beautiful morning. The seamless integration of the song, dance, and dialogue to drive the narratives was pioneering. With its compelling characters and intertwined love stories set against the backdrop of the Oklahoma Territory's impending statehood, Oklahoma was a massive success, running for an unprecedented 2,212 performances. But Hammerstein and Rogers didn't stop there. In 1945, they released Carousel, another seminal work. Hammerstein's libretto delved deep into the human psyche, exploring themes of love, redemption, and the passage of time. With songs like If I Loved You and You'll Never Walk Alone, the musical is often considered among the duo's best work. The beach scene in Carousel, which is a musical scene lasting over 10 minutes without dialogue, where the characters express their emotions solely through song, became a masterclass in musical theater storytelling. Then, in 1949, came South Pacific, a musical adaptation of James A. Michener's Pulitzer Prize-winning book, Tales of the South Pacific. This was a bold venture, dealing with issues of war, love, and racial prejudice. Songs like Some Enchanted Evening and You've Gotta Be Carefully Taught showcase the pair's knack for combining catchy melodies with profound lyrical depth. The musical was both a critical and commercial success, further cementing the duo's legendary status in Broadway history. During this period, the Rodgers and Hammerstein partnership was more than just a meeting of the minds. It was a confluence of two artists at the peak of their creative powers, both complementing each other perfectly. Rogers' melodic brilliance combined with Hammerstein's lyrical and narrative depth to create a new kind of musical theater, one that told cohesive stories where every element from song to dance to dialogue was integral to the narrative. Part 5. Continuing Success and Cultural Impact, 1950-1959 The 1950s were a time of post-war optimism in America. With the nation experiencing an economic boom and a cultural renaissance, amidst the backdrop, Oscar Hammerstein II, along with Richard Rogers, continued their dominance in the world of musical theater, further pushing the boundaries of the art form. The decade began with the duo exploring new horizons. 1951's The King and I was an evocative portrayal of the real-life relationship between Anna Leon Owens, a British schoolteacher, and King Monk Cut of Siam. 
This musical not only offered audiences breathtaking visuals and memorable songs, like Getting to Know You and Shall We Dance, but it also tackled deeper themes. Hammerstein's lyrics delved into the complexities of cultural misunderstanding, the quest for modernization versus tradition, and the challenges of leadership. Its commercial and critical acclaim was a testament to Hammerstein's ability to craft narratives that resonated across cultures and ages. In the mid-1950s, they experimented with a lesser-known but still poignant work, Pipe Dream. While it didn't achieve the same level of success as some of their other collaborations, it showcased the duo's willingness to take risks and their commitment to evolving their artistic expressions. However, the crowning jewel of the decade, and arguably of their entire partnership, came towards its end. The Sound of Music in 1959 was more than just a musical. It became a cultural phenomenon. Based on the life of Maria von Trapp, the story of a young aspiring nun turned governess and her relationship with the von Trapp family against the backdrop of Nazi-occupied Austria was a resonant tale of hope, love, and resilience. With songs like Do Re Mi, My Favorite Things, and Climb Every Mountain, Hammerstein's lyric touched upon the joy of discovery, the warmth of family, and the courage to stand up for one's beliefs. Throughout the 1950s, Hammerstein's lyrical prowess never wavered. His ability to weave intricate tales filled with multi-dimensional characters and evocative themes remained unparalleled. He showed that musicals weren't merely a form of escapism. Instead, they could serve as powerful mediums to discuss pressing societal issues, to bridge cultural divides, and to inspire introspection. Part 6 Final Years and Enduring Legacy, 1960 to 1965 and Beyond. The dawn of the 1960s found Oscar Hammerstein II reflecting on a lifetime filled with artistic triumphs. However, the decade also brought personal challenges. He was diagnosed with stomach cancer, a disease that would soon claim his life. Despite his ailing health, his passion for theater never waned, and he continued working almost up until his final days. Hammerstein's last work in collaboration with Rogers was The Sound of Music in 1959, which continued its successful Broadway run into the 1960s. While he did not live to see the beloved 1965 film adaptation starring Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer, the movie's success and cultural impact would undoubtedly have been a fitting testament to his genius. On August 23, 1960, the world of theater lost one of its greatest voices. Tributes poured in from all corners, celebrating not just the writer, but the man. Hammerstein was known for his kindness, humility, and generosity. Among those who mourned his passing was a young Stephen Sondheim, who considered Hammerstein both a mentor and a father figure. Hammerstein's influence on Sondheim's later work, with its deep character introspection and complex themes, is pretty undeniable. Hammerstein was more than just a lyricist or playwright. He was a visionary. He saw musical theater not just as entertainment, but as a powerful tool to address societal issues, challenge prejudices, and promote understanding. 
He brought depth and realism to a genre often dismissed for its frivolity. Today, as theater evolves with newer voices and stories taking the stage, the foundations laid by Hammerstein remain evident. Newer generations of writers and performers, even those whose work might not directly work in the musical genre, owe a depth to his innovations and his relentless pursuit of excellence. His works, imbued with hope, empathy, and humanity, will continue to inspire and move audiences for generations to come. And that brings us to the end of today's episode on Oscar Hammerstein II, a true theatrical giant. He's also died today, August 23rd. Additionally, if you enjoyed today's episode and want a visual of what Oscar Hammerstein II looked like, please follow our Instagram, who period died period today. Lastly, make sure to rate us wherever you were listening and share with friends and family. Join us next time on Who Died Today as we explore the life of another remarkable individual who made a lasting and indelible mark on history. I'm your host, Peter, and thank you for listening.